Okay, we'll be looking into Mark chapter 7, verse 24 through 37. But first, I'd like to just make a comment. We have a special day at the college coming up. Can I say something about it? On the 22nd, that's Tuesday. On the 20, 25th, I'm sorry, yeah, the 27th. The 25th, 2-5. And it's an open day. It's a free open day to come and sit on the classes, see what they're like. Uh, one that may be interesting is, uh, for many is Bible, Geography, and Customs. And the other class is my class. It's second year Greek. But I will alter a little bit, so if you do come and sit on it, you'll get at least something, even though you may not know what I'm talking about. Now, if that makes a sense, go ahead and try figure it out. So um, we're trying this so that people can have a look. It's uh, been a while since we've had one. The fact is, I remember our daughter Anna was born on an open day, which was then, it used to be in September. And I was slated to teach a class, and well, guess what? That didn't happen. We welcomed the daughter into the world. Okay, shall we take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 7? Have you ever heard somebody use the word unfair? Uh, maybe unfair, I deserve better than this. You might hear something like this. Are they paying their fair share? Or is it fair to leave so-and-so out? No, we can go on and on, can't we? And here in Australia, we have the term a fair go. And it's just across everything, isn't it? It's in, uh, see, I've got a list here. You know, it's rights, responsibilities, welfare, education, environment, work, health, housing, services, community, including safety, reconciliation, a fair go. We're looking at a story that at first looks like it's something is very unfair. And yet, when we look closer at it, it's not unfair, but a tremendous example of faith. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we thank you for your love and grace. And Lord, we thank you as we pause now to look into the word of God. And you've put this here for our learning. And you know that what everyone here has experienced this week. We pray this will be an encouragement and a challenge uh, to all of us. You know the need of each heart. And we pray that that would find met in you for your glory. And help me to be clear in what I say in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I find it interesting, as we look at this, let's just set it, this, these two stories. By the way, if you want a title, it's called Crumbs and Ears. Yeah, these things. Now, that's going to make sense in just a little bit. You know what a crumb is, right? That's the stuff you just sweep off the plate and throw away. Okay, crumbs and ears. Okay, first of all, but let's put these two stories in the context. What has been taking place in Mark up to this point? Well, back in chapter 6, uh, the Lord had sent the disciples out on the boat, and he stayed behind and prayed. Then he decided to go to meet them. But you know how he got there? He walked on the water. Well, they saw him walking on the water, and they knew they don't walk on water. They try it, they go down. So they think there's, he's seeing a ghost, a phantom, whatever, a spirit. And they're scared to death. And we read in verse 52 of chapter 6. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. 
They had faith, but they didn't understand everything. That's what it means. They just weren't putting two and two together and getting four. It just wasn't connecting. Okay. Then down in verse 53 and to the end of the chapter, he goes over to Gennesaret. And they find that's over in the western shore of Galilee, a very fertile area. And they find out Jesus is here. So they, people are running everywhere in that valley to find out where he is to get healed. And I ask, okay, the disciples, they believe Jesus is the Messiah, but they're not understanding everything. These people, who do they see? We know from later in Mark, some were saying, well, it's John the Baptist risen from the dead. Others said, no, nah, it's got to be Elijah. No, that's one of the prophets. And they, were, they couldn't figure it out. They knew somehow God had a hand on this man as far as they knew. But they hadn't fully understood. Then, in the first part of chapter 7, we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they see the disciples eating some bread without going through the special ceremony that they said you had to go through before you ate bread. What they did is they remembered, okay... If somebody went in, the priest went into the temple, into the tabernacle, first he had to wash his hands, right? He had to wash. So they took that out of the temple and meant every time you eat anything, you had to go through that ceremony. They made it a religious thing to wash your hands. Well, the disciples weren't going through their ceremony. They got upset. And... Uh, the Lord has a bit of a talk. I'm not going to preach that one. But then later on, down in verse... Uh, see, verse 29. This is what the Lord tells them. Not verse 29. Verse 6 and 7. This is what the Lord tells them. He quotes from Isaiah 29. Well hath Isaiah the prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines and the, of the, the doctrines, the, for doctrines, the commandments of men. Laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men and so forth. Well, the disciples are a bit puzzled. So after they're done, they ask him about it. And the Lord goes on to explain, down in verse 20, that which comes out of the man, that defileth the man. It's not what goes in. The body just takes care of it. It's what comes out of the heart. See, the Pharisees looked like they had faith, but they had no faith. And so as I think of that background, what is it that gives a clean heart? And I think we're going to see a bit of an answer as we look into this situation. Now, as we move into verses 24 to 30, which I call crumbs. Uh, before we get there, suppose you're invited out to a very special meal. And for some reason, you are being honored. Now, what would you expect in a situation like that for this meal? A banquet of, you know, really nice plate of food, right? Suppose there's before you, you see as you come to, and you have to pick up the plate. Let's just go with this for a moment. You, go, you have to pick up your plate, and you're expecting a nicely laid out, you know how the chefs do, with all the food and all the little doodads and so forth. You have one of those plates, you can put on it what you want, and another one of crumbs. 
and you're handed the crumbs. Now, how would you respond? I expect more than this. Crumbs? Who do you think I am? Now, with that in mind, let's look into the passage. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into an house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. We'll stop there. Now the first question is, he goes into Tyre and Sidon. Where's that? It's modern Lebanon. Okay, so he, why would he leave Galilee and go into Lebanon? We would call, I'll use the term today. They would have called it Phoenicia. Why would he go there? Well, as you look back earlier, the Lord had been trying to get away for a bit of a rest. And guess what? It wasn't working. He needed a bit of a breather. The disciples needed a breather. They were coming and going just being so busy. And they just couldn't get away. I suspect that's what it is. And there's another thing. He is not rejecting those people. Because you go back to chapter 3, it describes people were coming from everywhere, including Tyre and Sidon. There would have been Jews there, but there would have also been the Phoenicians, or as we would say today, the Lebanese. And so he's not rejecting them. But then while he's there, a woman hears about him. She hears what, that he can heal. She hears he can take care of demons. I don't know how she heard about it. God doesn't tell us. But she hears about it, and she's got a big problem. Her daughter has an unclean spirit, has a demon. It's demon-possessed. And she wants her daughter healed. Her heart is breaking for the, for the suffering not that her daughter is going through, her whole family is going through. So she comes to him, and she falls at his feet. Why does she do that? Couldn't she just ask him? What is she doing when she falls at his feet? She's expressing, I think, a number of things, isn't she? She is saying, I recognize you've got authority, and I'm submitting to your authority. But I think she's doing something else as well. She is willing to humble herself. And this gets really interesting because we're told in Matthew that she was crying after them, kept crying. The Lord just wasn't saying anything, like he ignored her. Step around her, I guess, maybe, and just go on. And it just wasn't working. The disciples says, tell her to get lost. But then it goes on. Something's interesting about this, young, this lady, this woman. Verse 26. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation. She besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. The who's he what? What's Syrophoenician? Phoenicia, you know what that is? That's Lebanon, right? You ever heard of Syria? Okay. It's the combination of Syria and Phoenicia, which in the Romans they made one province. But there's another thing in here. There was also a group of Phoenicians over what is now Tunisia. Then they'd call it Libya. So you have Phoenicians in two groups. So what did they call them? Can you guess what the other one was? 
Libophoenicians. Libya Phoenicians, and then Syrophoenicians. So that was just a designation of the time. The interesting thing is she is not a Jew. She's a Greek. And there's another interesting thing. At this time, Galilee, and when you look economically, that was more prominent. They were getting the better deal, and a lot of Galileans felt they were getting the worst end of the deal economically. So, so with, with that picture being painted, here she is falling down in humility before the Lord, recognizing his authority and asking for this request. And then the Lord does something really interesting. Look at verse 27. And Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be fed, for it is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. Now, what does that sound like to you? Pretty much of a put-off, isn't it? What is he calling this woman? Uh, what? Help me out. A dog. Now, as you put it into the story, what did the Lord say? It's not me to give the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. There were two kinds of dogs in Bible times. Not breeds, but two kinds of dogs. The dog of the street. They weren't pets. You didn't go pet those things. They were snarling, snappy, hungry, probably getting sick a lot. And then there were the dogs of the house. And they were fed at the same time as the children. You'd have enough food for the children, enough food for the dogs. So she is a very clever woman. Because her response is one that I find really, really tremendous. It seems like at first the Lord is saying, it's only for the Jew, forget it, get lost. It looks like that, doesn't it? Almost like an unfair treatment. But look at verse 28. She answered and said, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. Then we see verse 30. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon a bed. So how did she respond? Yeah, the children get the food, but I know the dogs get some too. Now, as I think about that, wow, that is humility. Tremendous humility. But she also recognizes in the Lord's seeming rejection, she recognizes the Lord is giving her a little window because she knows the custom of the time. She probably did in her own home for all I know. I don't know how wealthy she would have been, what kind of a wealthy home she would have from. Maybe they had pet dogs that she fed the children and fed the dogs at the same time with the leftovers as well as some food. So she says, yeah, Lord, I'm willing to take the place of a loved dog and let the children have what they want. <clears throat> 
Yes, God may have a special plan for the Jewish people, but he hasn't left everybody out. There are the rest of them. I'm willing to let you have your plan, your way. And I'm willing to submit in humility. Heal my daughter. I see a desperate woman here, but I see even more than that. A woman of faith. But then I ask the question, why did the Lord put her through this? Why didn't he just do it? It seems such a hard way to get, for the woman to get her daughter healed. You know what I think the Lord was doing? The Lord knew how, that this woman had great faith. In fact, it's in Matthew, which is the other place you will read about the story. The Lord says, O woman, great is thy faith. With Mark, you just see it, the, the story tells itself. What faith this woman had. And the Lord knew she had the faith. But to point out how great her faith was, he put her through this. So not only she, but most of all, the disciples and those around could see it as well. Faith. Humble faith is what brings God's mercy. It's like the song, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am without one plea. She came, she says, I don't have a right. I don't have, you know, I can't claim my rights with my fair rights. I come without any plea, without any necessity that you have to answer it, but only on your mercy. And I'm willing to humble myself before you. And, the Lord, and what did the Lord do? He says, go home, it's taken care of. When she got home, that was one happy home. But then as we continue on, <clears throat> he departs from there. And now we have to the ears. That was the crumbs. Now it's the ears. And again departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came under the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. Okay, what's Decapolis? That's over on the eastern shore of Galilee. Decapolis was a group of ten cities that were largely Greek. They were Gentile. There were some Jews among, among them, but they were there. And the Lord had been here before. The fact is, when he'd landed, this, you read this back in Mark chapter 5, a naked man that was just wild and had a legion of demons met him. And he healed the man. But the demons went into a whole herd, I think around 2,000 pigs. And the demons drowned the pigs. And the people said, get out. The man whom he'd healed was by then clothed and in his right mind. The Lord sent him back. He said, you go back and tell everybody what the Lord has done for you. And boy, he took that mission seriously as we read it. Well, the Lord goes back to the same area. And this time, as he gets off, notice what happens. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him 
to put his hand upon him. Okay, and uh, see. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. So they bring a man. Now, what's the problem this man has? He can't hear, right? But what else does it say about his speech? He's an impediment in his speech. What does that mean? He could, I mean, if he tried to say something, he was very hard to understand. That tells me the man probably wasn't born deaf, but he'd been deaf for a long time. So they bring this man. He can't hear what, he can see what's going on, but he can't hear a thing. And he's probably locked in his own world. Because I don't know how much sign language they had back then, how much Ausland. And uh, maybe he worked out a few signals, but there wasn't, so he would try to talk, but it just, it, communication just was not there. He takes him aside from the multitude, and then he goes, he sticks his fingers in his ears. And then he, spits and puts the spit on the man's tongue. Now, how do you respect, how would you react to that? Yeah, I don't like the idea either. Somebody else has spit in my mouth. But back then, it was not as repulsive. They viewed that saliva actually had healing properties. Okay? And then, not only does the Lord do, he sticks his finger, but he also... What's he doing all that for? He's just saying, oh, here we go again. Is that what he's doing? What he's doing, he's entering into that man's world. That sigh is saying, I care about your hearing. I care about your speech. The man figured out he wasn't understood very well. He is entering into that world. I care about your situation, and I'm going to do something about it. Then he speaks in Aramaic of the form of Aramaic that was spoken there at that time, because there were different forms of Aramaic. And uh, so, Ephatha. And the man, can you imagine the look on his face? Suddenly he could hear. He could hear the birds, he could hear the waves, he could, and he probably tried to say something. And he could talk. People could understand, he could be understood. Can you imagine how excited he was? How excited the people who brought him were? I'd say there was tremendous excitement. Then the Lord does something really puzzling at first. He says, because <clears throat> we see in verse 35, And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. Then verses 36 Verse 36, and he charged them that they should tell no man. And the more he charged them, so much more, the great deal, they published it. So he charged whom? Not just the man. He charged those who brought him. And this, of course, he goes on to explain, this happened over and over again. The Lord said, I don't want you telling anybody. 
but he's just been healed. And he's not supposed to tell anybody. Why does the Lord tell that? You know what it is? They were seeing a Messiah. They were seeing a healer, but they weren't seeing a Savior. The Lord had something in between first. The way to his throne was on a cross. He was headed for a cross. They would have misunderstood him as a Messiah, as one who throthed the Romans. But there was another situation that had to be taken care of first. It's called sin. The Lord had to die he, as the Lamb of God for the sin of the world. And so he says, don't tell anyone. Because, and then verse 37, I find really fascinating. And there were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. He hath done what? All things well. But that phrase reminds me of something back in the book of Isaiah, verse 35. Chapter 35, verse uh, 5. Chapter 35 of Isaiah, verse 5. And this is speaking about the future when the Messiah comes <clears throat> and the like. It says in verse 5, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And it speaks in verse 6 about the tongue of the dumb sing. You know what they were saying? I think they were giving a real hint. You know he does everything well. The deaf to hear, the blind to speak. This guy's got to be the Messiah. And we move on later on. Peter is going to say, Thou art the Christ. When the Lord asks them, Well, who do people say that I am? Oh, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others prophet. But who do you say? And Peter said for them all, Thou art the Christ. You're the Messiah. In a sense, you could almost say they beat Peter to it. They were giving that hint. He doeth all things well. And I think God has led for this to be written here. Look at the Messiah. Look at Christ. He is the promised one. He is coming. Let's still come back to my original question. How do you get a clean heart? What does faith have to do with it? Well, it's a look at the woman. What do I see with the woman? She was willing to take crumbs. She was willing to take that place. And the Lord said, O woman, great is thy face. Nothing putting in the way could change your face. You have tremendous faith. And as I look at that, I say, yes. What does it take to have a clean heart? It begins, number one, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what... Paul told the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is. He died on the cross. He rose again. He, rose for, he died for our sin. And because he died and his righteousness is imputed to us, God can say, I declare you righteous. He doesn't make us righteous. That's not what justification is. 
He declares us to be righteous. But then the deaf man, what does that help me see? We need to hear. We need to listen. You know, the Lord has said in John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. We need to hear what God is saying, not reject it like the Pharisees. But we need to learn, we need to grow. So as I see these two stories, crumbs and ears, we need to come in humble faith, hearing what God has said and not reject it. And that is where we will find cleansing before God. And there's just one other little thing. Romans 10, 14. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? How thus should they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The idea of preacher is not like me at this point. That means somebody who's proclaiming and encouraging others to come to the Lord. They need to be told. They need to hear. So as a look at these two stories, crumbs and ears, I see humility and hearing. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank thee for the word of God. We thank you for the wonderful things that you have, um, that you give to us in the word of God. But most of all, the salvation that we've commemorated in the uh, communion, that you died for our sin in our place to give us forgiveness and eternal life. But we get it by humble faith. And we pray that as believers we will continue that humble faith. As we begin in the faith, we walk by faith. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.